All right, let's get into, let's get into our word. We're on a series <clears throat> called This Is You. This is you. The premise of this, this series is I can't move forward in what God wants me to do unless I understand who I am. Who I am. I, I remember we went through an inheritance thing here a few years ago over my wife's Aunt Barbara's estate. And, and there were certain things that were verbally committed to us. And there were certain things in the, in, the, in, the, in the trust that looked like exactly what was verbally committed to us. And there was other parties that had a different interpretation of the documents and the history. And, and it, it turned into be quite a, a nasty fight that finally went into mediation in Sacramento. And I, you know, we were tired, but we, we felt like we were supposed to fight for this thing uh, based on what we felt was in Sue's aunt's heart. And uh, so we went all the way to mediation. If you've ever been to mediation, it's kind of an uncomfortable thing. You basically are in rooms, and a mediator goes from room to room all day long in a negotiation to settle on this thing. And so we go in there. We meet our lawyer for breakfast. She, was, she fought for us, uh, quite a lawyer from San Diego, California. And uh, she didn't, if we got much or we got little, it didn't matter. She was going to get her pay whatever. So her thing she said to us, she wasn't motivated by money. But I remember saying to her as we're getting ready to, to move upstairs in the elevator into the room, I'm saying, you know, we will settle for this if we have to, you know. And she looked at me and it was very interesting. She says, I won't let you do that. In other words, I will not let you settle for less. I think it's my inheritance. I mean, Sue's inheritance. But she said, I won't let you do that. I'm not going to let you shortchange yourself. It's interesting, we went in there, there was no mediation. First thing they offered us in a 13-page accounting sheet was everything that we thought we asked for a year before. Mediator said, I don't even know why we're here. So while a full blessing was coming, I was willing to settle for less. A lot of times the way we view, because there was a lot of nasty things said and we were searching our hearts and we were trying to figure this thing out, but that's, isn't that the way it is in our walk? A lot of things are negatively spoken into your mind. A lot of things are negatively spoken into your heart and, and you settle for down here and God's plan is up here. And so we are, we're going to grab a hold of who we are. My friend Wendell Smith, who was, was a great preacher, he's, he's died and gone to heaven. He used to say this, the anointing, the anointing is in who you are. God has made you naturally and he's gifted you spiritually to fulfill what he wants you to do. Right. You are, there's nothing about you that's an accident. I mean, even how you, you were formed genetically in your mother's womb and even how you were shaped environmentally was all in the hand of God. And you are who you are, your bent, your taste, your interests, your focus. And I raised our kids, I really tried the best I could to find their bent and, and what their bent was. And they all had different bents and, and, and not to put them all in a cookie cutter thing. Certain things they're all gonna get in a cookie cutter. This is the values I wanna put in you, but I, the individual expression, I wanted them to fulfill their bent and who they were. Some of you are quiet. Some of you are loud. My family's a very loud family. And, uh, you, know, you know, Sue's so sweet and quiet, but all the kids got my genes. <laughs> and so they're a loud family that way. So we're loud in a restaurant. We're loud wherever we go. We're, we're loud. 
Okay, but that's a family characteristic. Some of you are extroverts, some of you are introverts. Some of you are really task-oriented. You got your tasks, we're all business. Some of you are just fun country, and you just, you just want to have fun and tell jokes and be social. And I mean, whatever you are, some of you are artistic, some of you just, I just want to, I just want to go out and make money. I mean, you're all different. You're all different. The difference was designed by God who you are. That's where your anointing is. That's where your favor is. That's where your giftedness is. That's where God is going to use you. It's so fun to be comfortable in your skin on who you are. It's just, it, you'll enjoy life. It's taken me a long time. I, I was telling somebody the other night that I've enjoyed being in my 60s. I feel like a, those truths have become a reality in my life. There's some things I don't enjoy you know, being 60. I'm going to be 62 here in a few weeks. I, there's some things I don't enjoy. I, you know, I don't enjoy, you know, all the hair that's growing in different places in my body. I mean, I'm not enjoying that. I, you know, I got the Austin Power thing coming out of my shirt and <laughs> hair coming out of my ears. And, uh, yeah, I don't quite enjoy those things, but I'm enjoying a lot of other things. I'm not enjoying getting up, you know, at night two or three times, you know, to do to do, I have to do. You don't understand that until you get older. How many people are over 55 here? Raise your hand. You go to a mall, what's the first thing you look for? You look at the map, see where the bathrooms are. You just want to make sure you're not too far away. And all those 55 and older say, yeah, that's right. <laughs> There's things I don't enjoy. There's other things I do enjoy is that I'm starting, even in late in life, to understand who I am. Well, today we're going to talk about that you are adopted. And we're going we're gonna to be reading Romans chapter 8, verse 15, 16, and 17. And, and uh, I want to talk before we, we talk, because the scripture is going to talk about adoption. I want to frame in adoption, not from the way we understand adoption in our culture, but the way adoption was understood in Paul's, in Paul's culture. When Paul uses the word, you are adopted, he's not thinking in Jewish terms because there was an adoption in Jewish culture. Jewish culture inheritance was based on family line blood. No outsiders were brought in. And so if I had a son, it goes to my son. If I didn't have sons, it would go to my daughters. And if it was my daughters, they, they got the inheritance, but they couldn't marry anybody outside of their tribe to keep it within the tribe, the clan, and the family. And so there was these, these inheritance laws to keep things in equal distribution in the Jewish economy. So when Paul's talking about adoption, it's not a Jewish concept, it's a Roman concept. And the Roman concepts had a thing called paterfamilias. Paterfamilias was, um, it meant this. They, they wanted to keep, you know, the inheritance moving forward from family to family where someone is the head priest over every house to bring stability to the Roman culture. So if I had no sons, I, was, I could bring an outsider in and make, him, and make him an heir to my estate and adopt him. When that person came in from the outside and they became an heir, they just weren't an heir. They were a joint heir. In our culture, we receive an inheritance at the point of death. Someone dies and we have an inheritance. In Roman society, you were an heir by birth. So when you became the adopted, you were equal to the adopter and the estate was yours at that point in time. So you had equal authority in that. Now you kind of know when it says we are joint heirs with Christ. Whatever Christ has received, we have received. That's a powerful concept if you think about that. 
All your debts were canceled as you brought into this family and you accepted a full new identity. And so when Paul's talking about this, he's using Roman culture terms. And isn't that interesting that when we give our life to Jesus and we're born again, that at that point, we become heirs. Now, we keep thinking on the by and by. We keep thinking when we go over to glory land, okay? That's when we think. But we are heirs now. Just punch the person next to you. You say, now, now. Come on, wake him up a little bit. Now. We're heirs now. So let's look at taking that concept of Roman adoption. Let's, let's look at this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You're not, you're not a slave to fear. Slaves fear. I don't do this. I broke a dish. You know, I'm getting, I'm getting whacked. I'm, I'm, I'm full of fear. You're not there. You're family. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, Abba, Father is a very in intimate term. You go to Jerusalem today, you find kids in the park running to their parents, they're going to cry out, Abba, Abba. And so you have the great right to know God as your Father, as your Father, not as the Ancient of Days, not as one who rides upon the clouds, not as one who dwells in inapproachable light, which are all biblical terms I'm using, but you get to call God Dad. You know, that's, that's irreverent. First time I had someone write me a letter, they, they used the word dad. I just thought, how, you know, come on, how disrespectful. But they were right. Abba is daddy. I cry daddy. I cry daddy. That's the spirit in me, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God has something within me. He said, Bob, cry out daddy. Cry out daddy. Cry out daddy. That's what we get to know God is. And he goes on to say, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We're to, we're to walk with that witness in us, in our inner being, that we are children of God. And if children, because of paterfamilias, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God, and we're fellow heirs with Christ. Wow. Wow. You see, in eternity, there's going to be on the, you know, on the, on the gate of heaven, there's going to be a big sign, you know, like you come to, you know, LT Ranch or something, and it's going to say, God and sons and daughters. We get to share it all. If we share it all then, we get to share our inheritance now. You see, we live like paupers. See, we're like me when I went to that mediation. I'll settle for this. And the lawyer who understood law and the documents and everything, I'm not going to let you do that. That's not what your legal right is. You're shortchanging yourself. But we're paupers. We're not kings in our mindset. And being paupers and not kings, we ask little prayers, baby prayers, little squeaky prayers. We don't ask prayers like, God, if you ask me really to go do this, then I'm going to need this and begin to ask for it. Now, I'm not talking about magic wand Christianity. I'm going to wave it because I, I want a Lexus. So, Lord, right now, in Jesus' name, give me a Lexus. I'm not talking about that. Now, if God gives you a Lexus, God bless you. But I'm talking about in the context of his will, in the context of what he wants to do through you. 
And so everything you need from shelter to money to comfort to friendship to helpers to gifting to open doors and protection, everything else, you get to ask God all those things you need. You get to, you get to say, God, I'm, I'm believing you for this thing because you're not a pauper. You're a king. You're a queen. Amen. Now notice this. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. God took the initiative. He wanted you. I want that one. I want that one. It's amazing to us some of the people God wants, some of the people he chooses, some of the people he goes after. But what's the beauty of this thing? If you really understand the doctrine of predestination, you need to understand it in the context of intimacy. He wanted you. Amen. He wanted you. Shared that one time to a bunch of interns. We had a young man who's now at our church plant in Tri-City, Stephen Tease, just got back from Iraq, gave his life to Jesus in one of our, one of our house churches, and his friend committed suicide, was in combat with him. And, and when he heard that, he just blurted out in class. He said, that makes me feel so special. That's what it should Amen. make you feel like. You are special. You're incredibly special. John says, some, however, did receive him and believed in him, so he gave them the right to become God's children. Just the authority. Now, my, my kids, you know, my kids don't make an appointment to see me at church. They just barge into the parking lot and into the office and down the hallway, and they have come right in my office because why because they're my kids and they have that right they have that authority you have that authority with God my my house is their house you know they come they use it all the time they go get they take my chicken eggs they you know they rob my freezer you know okay they plan my vacations they set my budget for the vacation it includes them Why? Because they're my kids. They're heirs of what I have. Okay, they understand. They function as kids. That's the way God wants us to function as kids. His kids. Adopt. You see, you can imagine how this would affect the way you serve Jesus and walk with Jesus and approach life. You get your shoulders back. You get your head up. I mean, yesterday, I got to watch my University of Washington Huskies <laughs> wipe out wipe out the University University of Oregon Ducks. No one's bragging. It was 70 to 20. Okay. <laughs> but they didn't walk out on that field like they've done year after year. You know, we're kind of like a 500 team and we're kind of, you know, it's who we are. Maybe we'll win. Maybe we won't. They got ranked fifth in the nation. Now they're a contender for the national championship. They walked on that team. This is who we are. Now, I remember playing in competitive sports. You have to have that mindset. I hope we can survive. You're going to be dead. You got to believe. You got you you to move yourself forward. That's what they do in psychological training with athletes. I mean, they get them visualizing, doing everything they get, they, to get your full potential going. And they went out believing who they were, and they proved it. Well, we're the same way. We're the same way. Who you are will determine how far you go. 
Now, let's talk about our salvation for a second, because there's a negative and there's a positive effect of our salvation. In other words, there's negative and positive significance to the salvation. What do you mean by that? Let's just talk about the negative effect. The Bible says, and when I negative effects is, is this. First, let me just say this. It's the cancellation of judgment against us. There's, whether you realize it or not, there is judgment against you if you have not put your faith in Christ. And that's a horrible thing to, to live with. Why? Because God's mean? No, because you've sinned against God. You've rebelled against God. There's judgment against you. I had someone call me up, and you may have had the same phone call. They called me up. First, they left a message in my voicemail. This is so-and-so. I am an agent with the IRS, and you're to contact me on this case number. Well, this is about six months ago. Maybe it was about over a year ago. I said, okay, all right. Uh, case number, IRS, and... So I call, and I'm talking, I need to talk to officer so-and-so at the IRS, and this is my case number. And all of a sudden, I didn't, I was a little suspicious when they wouldn't connect me with that person. The person who received the call took me on, and they said, well, you're under criminal investigation. I want to read what took place, and you have not paid your taxes, and, and, uh, and if you do not uh, straighten this thing out, you're un under criminal investigation. They could confiscate your house. You can be in prison for this many years. And they just went to it. And I'm, I'm telling you, fear just came into me. And I said, how come I haven't gotten anything in writing on this, any documentation? The first I've heard about this. And, and uh, well, this, you know, just, I was fearful. My heart was beating. I'm, I'm under judgment. And then they blew it. And then they said, this is regards to your 2009 taxes. Ha! I got audited in 2009. The IRS paid me. Who are you? Click. <laughs> but that was better than the one that says, you give us $5,000 or we're going to kill you. That was a nice one. <laughs> me and my boys. That's okay. Me and my boys are going to whack you. Uh, but uh, fun things we got coming on online and telephone and internet and everything else. But... Here's the issue. I felt this judgment against me. And the Bible says that the judgment against us because of what Christ has done has been canceled. Romans 3.24 says, being justified, being justified freely by his grace. Freely means without cost. Justified means you're acquitted from wrong. The sentence has been paid. There's no more condemnation. There's no more judgment. You don't have to serve any more time. But the problem with this picture, it's incomplete on what salvation is. So a prisoner, he goes to jail, and in jail he pays his time. Let's say he does five years and for theft or something, and he's in there for five years, and he, and he gets out of jail. What you, you think, you know, they're going to get out of jail, and they got a reentry program. No, they don't. You get out of jail, and the gate's shut behind you, and you got to rebuild trust with society. You don't have any money. You don't have any apartment. You don't got anything. You don't got a job. And you don't even have a good name. It's like, well, how do they dig themselves up? That's a great question. That's where the church needs to be involved, helping people get back into society. I was in prison, and you came to me. Remember those words of Jesus? But, but that's, there's nothing there. Your sentence is paid for. That's done. But... That's it. 
That's not salvation. So to just talk about justification is incomplete. There's a positive effect and a positive significance of adoption, and that is you're restored to a place of favor with God. Now, turn on your smartphones and go to your U version or your all of Bible study or get your Bibles open. Turn to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Let's talk about what it now means to be restored to favor. Not just the sentence has been paid, but I've been restored to favor. Look at this, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Now, if you understand John's writing, John is going, wow! I'm astonished. What manner of love has the Father bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God? This is amazing. Amazing. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. In other words, the world doesn't know how favored we are. Now, that's just Joe over there. Yeah, he goes to church. He's a good guy. You know, he's kind of dull sometimes, doesn't know too much about sports or whatever. Let dull George, he is absolutely favored by God. God has thrown his love on him. God has privileged him. God has adopted him. And the world doesn't even know it because they didn't know Jesus. Who's that carpenter guy out of Nazareth? It was God's son. God's son. Now let's change the analogy of coming out of prison. I come out of prison... And coming out of prison, now I got a whole family waiting for me. I got a band, cheerleaders, a whole greeting committee, and, uh, you know, they're, you know, happy days are here again. And, you know, I come out, of, and there they are waving at me, and you know, you know, it's like Oliver, you know, consider yourself a friend, you know. And who are you guys? Well, you're, you're your family now. Your family? Yeah, your sentence has been paid for, but now you're in a family. Here's the keys to your car. A car? Yeah, we're going to get a car. Oh, car. I get a car? Yeah, we got a house for you, too. You got a house for me, too. Yeah, and we, and we landed you a job. You're going to start Monday. So I start a job. And it's going to pay this much. I can't believe that. And we're going to have a party for you tonight, and tomorrow night, and the next night, because you're out and you're in. Now, that's more of a picture of salvation. In Latin America, when people get saved and give their life to Jesus, come to altars, many times the churches will have signs. You ask them to turn around, signs, and insist on, like, you are loved. You're part of our family now. I mean, it's just not you're forgiven, you're adopted. Sentence isn't just paid. You now have all the honor and privileges of a son, of a daughter. Let's talk about what we were before adoption. What we were before adoption. You know, that's, a great, that's a great debate. You know, how should we view people who are not believing in Jesus or following Jesus? Well, you know, in Malachi it says this actually talking to people who are not living for Jesus. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are you faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Paul said this to the, to the Greeks on Mars Hill, being then God's offspring, talking to them. They weren't believing in Jesus. 
being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of men. In the time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. But you are God's offspring. So the people that don't follow Jesus and don't believe in Jesus want nothing to do with the church or living in a lifestyle that maybe you're disgusted by, those people are still God's children. They're estranged. They're in rebellion and sin and separated and isolated, and they're not in the place where they need to be, but they're still his children. This is, if you understand this, you'll understand the depths of the parable of the prodigal son. It was a prodigal son that went and lived a prodigal or a wasted life. It was the prodigal son that was brought back in. It wasn't just a backslidden Jew. It was a prodigal son who was brought into relationship. When you're looking at people that, okay, I got an assignment to try to reach this person. They may be rude. They may be mean. They may be violent. I heard this week a, a tremendous preacher by the name of Mekon Carter out of Yakima. And Mekon um, was one rough guy in high school. He was the type of guy that he said the Christians were all scared of me. You know, he was violent, drug user, tough guy, and everything else. And there was a, a young life worker who invited him to go to a young life camp. And he didn't go. Did his drugs, did his wildlife and everything else. And got saved at the age of 18. It was a barber in Yakima and became famous, kind of this barber that won everybody to Jesus. He ended up pastoring a church that got thousands in it today. And uh, years later, as he's now serving the Lord, this, this other young life worker who knew Mekon went to meet, connect with this guy in uh, Arizona, guys in Arizona now, that tr invited him years before to this camp. And he says, yeah, man, things are going great up in, in, um, in Yakima and he mentioned Mekon. He mentioned Mekon Carter. And this young life worker, this is years later, like 20 years later, they said, who would you say? Yeah, Mekon Carter. He was that ex-barber, got saved, he, now a pastor of a church. Mekon Carter? I want you to know, since the day he rejected going to that camp, I have not stopped praying for him every day for the last 20 years. You see, they're still God's kids. They're estranged. They're isolated. They're lost. They're hurting. They're deceived. But they're still his kids. We've got to look at people as created in the image of God. Now, how does this reveal the nature of God? What's this say about us? Well, first this says... That God is tender-hearted and kind towards us. You know, God's not mean. Sometimes the Church of the West, because we've we've stood for things, we've had to be careful to make sure we show God's love at the same time and not misinterpret that we're mean people. God is tender. He's compassionate. Psalm 103, verse 14 says this. I mean, excuse me. Starting with verse eight, describes this with God. Psalm 103. Go open your Bibles to this. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. And notice that he's abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. I'm glad he has not dealt with me according to my sin. 
nor punished us according to our iniquities. I'm glad he didn't punish me according to my sinfulness and the iniquities in my life. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. Notice, his mercy is great. Paul said, God who is rich in mercy, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Listen, as a father, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. He understands you're limited. He understands you're weak. He understands that you've fallen back. He understands that you, you, you didn't do everything right. He understands you don't have your A game together. He understands that maybe somehow you don't always get it correct, but he's merciful. Merciful. And he's tender. It means God's rich in mercy. Deuteronomy 5 says, God who shows mercy to thousands. Ephesians 4, 32, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Come on, God is tenderhearted. God is kind. This is what it says about God. It means that God cares for us. Jesus in Matthew 6 says, Listen, you're more valuable than birds and grass. And God takes care of the grass, and he takes care of birds. You got, you got more value than, than those things, and God's watching over you. Luke 11, God, Jesus talks about using some hyperbole. He goes, which father among you, if, you're, if your child asks for bread, you give him a stone? Ben Elise was a kid, and she asked for you know, a peanut butter sandwich. I wasn't going to go out and get two rocks, smooth them down, put some peanut butter and jelly on them, and say, here, kid. You'd say, like, how sick. Annalise, where's your teeth? Well, my dad's been feeding me peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> what father, if you ask for fish, will he give you a snake? So, daddy, I want fish sticks. No problem, honey. Here's your fish sticks. All of a sudden, snakes are on the plate just kind of scrolling around. He says a very sick father. Well, that's the way we view God. We view God with a sick set of glasses on. We think he's only going to give us snakes. We think he's only going to give us rocks. If he asks the egg, we give him a scorpion? Well, that would be sick. What would you give your kids for breakfast? Well, I kind of fry up scorpions. It's actually good scrambled. Don't kill them. Don't scramble too much. You want them moving. I say, well, Bob, you're, you're sick. Well, that's how we see God. We think God's going to give us scorpions, snakes, and stones. When he said he'd give us bread and fish and eggs. I mean, he's, he's going to watch over every detail of your life. That's what it means. It means God is our father, not a policeman. Now, I appreciate the police, but they're not here to be my parent. They're here to enforce law. So when a police officer pulls me over because I'm speeding, he's not going to come up to me and put his arm around me, come, 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 come. It's a warning, Bob. You know better. Usually he's going to write me a ticket and just say, have a nice day, Mr. McGregor. Have a nice day. He just gave me a ticket. Have a nice day. I was with Ed Hewitt on a ride-along one time. Ed was a wonderful man, a part of our church, lives in California now, and he... He was a great father to his three kids, loved his kids. And uh, we came across some kids in junior high up at Skyview High School running around on a Friday night. And, and he, he recognized one of the girls. She was about Natalie's age at the time. At the time, it was about 12, 13 years of age. And 
And he goes, I remember you. She goes, yeah, you came into that house. The neighbors were reporting. I didn't have any clothes on. I was kind of doing my thing with these guys. And talking about her big sexual exploits at the age of 12 or 13. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, she's the same age as my daughter, Natalie. So this whole father heart comes. And I know that his heart was broken, but he couldn't be a dad. He was a policeman. I'm sure when he went home, he went and hugged his kids. But somehow we view God as a policeman, just an enforcer of the law. He's not a policeman. He's your dad. Goes much deeper. He's out for your good. He's going to work you through it. He's going to be compassionate, even though if he has to be a disciplinarian. It means God has provided everything that I need. If I'm an heir now, then everything I need to do his will has been provided for me. And I have to walk in that confidence. Now, what does this mean for us in wrapping this up? means a few things. First thing it means is this. It means that we can be assured that we are wanted. Maybe you came to Jesus with some sexual deviancy and you're kind of saying, it's kind of amazing. People talk about being drug addicts, running with gangs. No one gets up there and says, you know, I was a pervert. There's just something about sexual sins that brings deep, deep, deep shame. It's hard. There's a shame to it. But he wanted you. He wanted you even in that bondage. Maybe you're addicted to a substance. Maybe you were a thief. Maybe you were violent. Maybe you were an abuser. But he wanted you. You see, we, we get disgusted with people. We don't think God wants them. He, wants, he wanted you. We're free, not slaves who obey out of fear. We're part of a family. We obey out of motive, of gratitude and of love and loyalty. It's not like, if I don't do this, God's going to whack me here. If I don't do that, God's going to whack me over here. That's fear. That's, that's, that's slavery. We do it out of love and gratitude. We are secure in God's forgiveness and acceptance. You know, when I fail, I'm not kicked out. I'm not kicked out of the family. Oh, I failed. You're out of the family. I'm in the family. Family's going to work with me through this. Had a, a young man in my youth group that there was just something wrong with him back, back in the day. It was, you could see it was an emotional disconnect. His father, so frustrated with him, said this, you're dead to me. I confronted the father on it, and he used the, 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 the story of the prodigal son when the father said, you were dead to me, but now you've been brought back. Because that's what I meant. But the, all the kid heard is, you're dead to me. You don't exist. You, you don't matter. That young man eventually down the road committed suicide. That's not the father's house. He accepts you. He forgives you. You're in the house. You're not in the house because you're always at your best. But you're in the house. You always do everything perfect. But you're in the house. He's adopted you. You are his. Big responsibility to adopt is those out here who have been adopters know. You just can't throw the kid away. He's your kid. She's your kid. You're accepted. You can trust him too. You can rest that he is watching over every detail in your life. You know, I, I have to come to work every day with no control how we make money. And yet I have, I don't know how many employees I got, Darcy, here that I got to pay their salaries, their medical insurance, and, 
everything else. Well, how do you do it, Bob? I mean, you've been doing this for 19 years. What do you do? I just absolutely trust that he's going to take care of all those people on that Global Impact Board. We're going to fulfill all our obligations to our church plants. I'm going to be able to pay my staff a fair wage. He's going to take care of the lights. Come on, guys, you, you think like everything for granted, but he's going to pay for the toilet paper. He's going to take care of it. I mean, what do you do? Do you sit there and just wring your hands? No. He's going to do this. He is going to provide. It's his house. I trust him. I trust him doing his will. I trust that he likes this place. I trust that he loves my team. He loves the people we're trying to reach. He wants us to fulfill the mission. He's going to give us everything we need. We're heirs. I trust him. Brings us to a place of rest. But we're not less just to trust, but we're favored. We have privileges that other people do not have. What matter of love has the Father bestowed on us that we are called the children of God? The world does not know us because it didn't know him. We're privileged. What's that mean? That means you're in the back of the line. Say, Emily's in the back of the line. He says, Emily, what are you doing in the back of the line? Get up here. I remember coming to Haiti the first time I got there. I, here I am, I'm filling out my immigration form and everything. I'm getting off the plane with everybody else. And all of a sudden, two guys grabbed me, come with us. I was, oh, great. And Mark Honorat, a missionary there who was going to host me, he had misspe- he, knew, he knew the powers that be. I got straight through. They put me in a room, got me some coffee and, you know, and got me some goodies and, you know, just sat there and got my luggage to me. I didn't have to go pick up my luggage. And I'm thinking, this is living. This is how you should go through customs. What is it? I had a privilege, the rest of the passengers. Sorry out there, guys. I feel sorry for you. But, but, I, but there was a privilege. You have privileges that other people do not have. I know that sounds arrogant, and it's not meant. We're, 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 not, we're in gratitude because we only got it by faith. But it's true. If you don't know it, you won't use it. And God wants you to use it because he wants you to have everything you need to do his will. But it also means we're under discipline. Oh, I don't like this one. Hebrews 12 says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Ow. He chastises every son whom he receives. Ow. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, that means we all get to go to the woodshed in our relationship with God. We're all going to get a little discipline in our relationship with God then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So sometimes God has arranged a little spanking for you. Sometimes God has arranged a little time out in the corner. Sometimes God has revoked some of your privileges. And sometimes God has allowed you to go to do this thing again. I've already done that. Lord. You're going to do it again, and you're going to do it again, and you're going to do it again until you get it right. Why? Because he loves you. You want your child to have certain character qualities. I wasn't a, you know, like, I was strict in certain areas, like super strict, and I was loose in other areas. I was kind of a unique parent that way. But I wanted my kids to have certain attitudes. I wanted them to have character. I wanted them to suck it up. I wanted them to endure hardness. I wanted them to have right attitudes and situations in life. And I wanted them to always honor and respect adults. Why? Because I didn't want them to fail. I loved them too much to just let them be people of sloppy character. 
And so I didn't let them get away with certain things. There are certain things they did, ah, that's growing up stuff. Certain things, this will be out of your life. You can talk with them. And I did. When, I came, when the boom came down, the boom came down. But not because I'm a mean guy. I wanted them to succeed. But God's the same way with us. So what does this all mean at the end? It means that we can radically obey him. Because I'm wanted. Because if I fall on my face, I'm still in the family. Because I trust him. Because I'm an heir and he's given me all the resources and privileges I need. Because he cares for my life and watches everything on my, in my life, every detail in my life. I can radically just do the most radical things for God because he is going to be there to help me. That's why one of the first things they teach why I went missionaries is the father heart of God. You get the father heart down, you can go to the nations. You get the father heart down, you can make, take great risks. You get the father heart down, you can move forward in the will of God. Because you're a son. You're a daughter. And this is you.